Okay, well, let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13, and this is really the, the seventh message that we've had in chapter 13, and believe it or not, I think we're going to get out of verse 1 this, this morning of, of chapter 13. What we've been seeking to do, you can see at the top of your study sheet, is we've been seeking to build a biblical composite of the Antichrist. And we'll explain in just a little while uh, further things about the Antichrist. But realize this morning, this is now the seventh message. The reason it's taken us so long to get out of verse 1 is we did take a, a few weeks to begin to just go to a lot of different places in the Bible to get a, a, a panorama of, of who this guy is before we actually came into the exposition or the verse-by-verse the -verse and word-by-word -word study uh, from Revelation chapter 13 like we've done all through uh, this study in the book of Revelation. But where we are right now, as you can see on your study sheet, we've been looking at the unique parentage of this false prince that's going to come to this planet in the very near future. And we began to see what is so unique about his parentage or his, his background is first of all his family lineage. We saw from verse 1 as we began to cross-reference that thing that he is a Gentile, that is, he is a Roman, a Greek, a Babylonian, an Assyrian, uh, obviously of a composite nationality, and not only of composite nationality, but of composite race. And we saw that he is also a Jew, and a Jew apparently from the tribe of Dan, and we talked about uh, something that is so key to understanding this passage, along with so many of the other passages that refer to the Antichrist, or the beast, as he's called in, in this passage, is that he is both a real and a representative person. That is, he is a real life human being, just like me and you, and yet as you begin to see how the scripture refers to him, it also refers to him as a representative person, as a representative of an entire kingdom, a kingdom over which he himself will be the head. And it's so important that you, you see that, and we'll, we'll explain that further as we move along this morning. And then we, we saw a second thing about his unique parentage, and that is his family likeness. And we began to, began to look last week in verse 2 to see that as he is described here, John says in verse 2, the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And we began to see that he is like the beast that is described in Job chapter 40, just an incredible study, and we don't have time to get into all of the review of that. But then we saw a second thing, that he's also like the beast that is described in Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel has a vision, and, and strangely enough, he sees an unnamed beast at the conclusion, but the thing begins with him seeing a lion, and then a bear, and then a leopard, and then this unnamed beast. He is, at this point in human history, around 600 B.C., and he is looking forward in time and looking at the future of what is going to be taking place on the, the, in the kingdoms of this world. He begins to see a lion and a bear and a leopard, and then this unnamed beast, John, looking at a different period of time, and looking at a different period of time from the standpoint of the day of the Lord, is looking back, and he sees an unnamed beast who is like a 
leopard and a bear and a lion and it's the same exact order because he's looking at it from a total different perspective and so we began to see last week his family likeness but not only is his unique parentage seen in his family lineage and in his family likeness but also in a third way and here's where we'll pick up this morning it's also seen this unique parentage that he has in his family legacy family legacy that's letter c on your outline and i'll tell you in my thinking this is really the key to understanding who and what this beast actually is because this is where you start seeing how all kinds of things in the bible start fitting together to show you how the antichrist actually becomes the antichrist now i want you to just think with me for a second from everything that we see in the Word of God, from every indication that we, we have, we would believe this morning that this one that is being referred to here in Revelation chapter 13 is somewhere right now alive on this planet. And chances are real good he doesn't understand who he is, and we don't understand who he is. We, we don't know his identity this morning. But what we're going to see is that something is going to take place in the very, very near future that is going to cause this one to become this beast or the Antichrist. And there's two things that I want you to see about his, his family legacy. First of all, and this is number one under letter C, you've got to understand that this one is Satan incarnate. He is Satan incarnate. Now, if you're newer to the Bible, maybe, maybe you're just younger and your vocabulary has not gotten to the place to where you understand the word incarnate. If I were to say, uh, I would like uh, a bowl of chili con carne, I'm asking for uh, a bowl of chili with what? With meat, okay? Con carne, okay? With meat, carne, okay? It, it, it has to do with, with flesh. What we're talking about is this one is going to be Satan in the flesh. He is going to be Satan in a human body. John says in, in verse 2 here of Revelation 13, he says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And, and watch this now. And the dragon gave him his power. Now, listen, there's absolutely no question whatsoever about who the dragon is, right? The dragon is, is who? It's Satan. And if, if you weren't here when we studied this back in chapter 12, look with me, if you will, at verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12, because it's spelled out very, very clearly. You can't miss who the dragon is. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan. Okay, and what John tells us at the end of verse 2 of, of chapter 13 is that the dragon, who is Satan or the devil, is the one that will actually empower the Antichrist. And let me take just a, a, a couple of minutes here to show you how this, this thing actually shakes down. And you need to listen very, very carefully. If, if you're able to to listen and grab and write all, all at the same time, then I would encourage you to do this, because what I'm getting ready to do right now is I'm getting ready to take what has been the last six, seven, eight, nine, ten messages in, in the book of Revelation as we've been talking about Satan 
back in chapter 12 and the Antichrist in chapter 13. And what I'm getting ready to do for you right now is I'm going to take all that we've been studying and I'm going to put it together in kind of a, a panoramic sequence for you so you'll be able to see this thing. Now, it's, we've taken a long time to get ourselves here, and we, we, we've, I've tried to go to all these different places and explain in detail. And now what we're going to do is, without all of the detail and the explanation and the proof of all of it, what we're getting ready to do is put all of this stuff together, and I'm telling you, it's incredible when you see what is really going to happen when it talks about here that the dragon is going to give power to this, to this beast. Now, as we begin to, to look at the whole of the book of Revelation, we understand very clearly where the rapture takes place in the book of Revelation. And it's in, give me the reference. Chapter 4, verse 1. Good job. And we know, we know that that's where the rapture is because in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, John brings us through the seven letters that our Lord wrote to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor. And we have seen, as you place those letters into the context of the whole of the book of Revelation, what you find out beyond any shadow of a doubt, and this is not some kind of view that, that we concocted, if you just go and you just start checking out men through the centuries, they've all understood this, if they've had a handle on what the book of Revelation is all about. But those seven letters that our Lord wrote in chapters 2 and 3 outline in very graphic and perfect formula form the, the history of the church that picks up basically where the history of the church uh, leaves off in the book of Acts, and that's why the book of Acts is in our Bible. It is there to give us that history of what took place after Jesus ascended back to the Father and the church began to be established through the apostles on this planet. It's a history book. That's what the book of Acts is. But it leaves off very abruptly. Now, and all of the Old Testament is just bringing you from the beginning of time all through the history. We come into the New Testament, and you get four accounts of the history of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come into the early church, and you've got the history of that early church. And then here comes the book of Revelation. And then in graphic form, from chapter 6 through 19, he gives you every single thing that's going to take place after the tribulation, and then into the second coming, the millennium, the new heaven, the new earth, and on into eternity. You've got all of history except for what takes place after the book of Acts up to the rapture. Now, if you're just a thinking person, you know that the Bible, first of all, is a history book. God wants to give you the entire panorama. He wants to give you the entire history. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he does exactly that. He fills in the gap. He gives you everything that is going to take place in the history of the church from where the book of Acts leads off all the way up to the, the rapture, 19 or so centuries that he covers in those, those two chapters, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And what's interesting is that right after that last letter, in fact, once you go back to chapter 3, right after that last letter written to the church of the Laodiceans, that seventh period of church history, as soon as that letter is concluded in chapter 3 and verse 22, bam! The next thing that happens in the book, in the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, what you find out is heaven opens, there's a voice, there's a trumpet, and somebody on the earth is caught up into heaven, which of course, if you know anything about the Bible, what I just mentioned, 
It's every single detail of what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says is going to happen at the rapture. There is, heaven's going to open, there's going to be a voice, a trumpet, and a group of people on the earth that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be caught up into heaven. And coincidentally enough, the church, and the word church, that to this point in the book of Revelation, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the word church, this point, is found 19 times in those three chapters. And after chapter 4 and verse 1, the church just is absolutely gone as far as being on the earth in the book of Revelation. In fact, the word church just totally drops out at that point, and you don't pick it up again until the very end of the book. And at the end of the book, what he does, he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all this information that you've gotten through this revelation, and I want you to get this information to the churches. And that's the only other place that it shows up. What it's showing you is that the rapture takes place in God's timeline after that seventh period of church history in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. So there's no doubt about where the rapture is in this book. And we've, we've talked in times past, over the last several weeks, we've talked about how from a very practical standpoint, how that event is just absolutely going to rock this world. The ramifications of that event when millions of people vanish off of the face of this planet without any warning, the ramifications of that are just going to go on and on and on because what's going to happen is in a split second, what the Bible calls the twinkling of an eye, millions and millions of people people who are presently alive on this planet at this very moment are just going to absolutely immediately vanish and as you can imagine it's going to cause every other person who remains on this earth to be absolutely and totally freaked out i mean you can imagine this morning right now if while i'm preaching and you're in the midst of hundreds of people in this room if right now the rapture were to take place and everybody that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior were to be removed and it just happened just like that, I doubt that you'd go, well, I guess the crowd isn't going to be too thick out in the restaurants this morning. I doubt that you're just going to walk to your car and say, well, that was cool. You can imagine. You would just be absolutely and totally freaked. And if you've got kids that you dropped off on the other side, the first thing that you do is one screaming your head off, wondering whether or not your kids are still over there. I'm talking, folks, when you begin to see what is really going to take place, I mean, you begin to understand how totally freaked people are going to be because, you see, nobody, even after the dust settles, nobody's going to know at that point when or if this thing is going to happen again. And then add on top of that the fact that there will be catastrophes that will be taking place all over the world. Planes will be falling out of the sky. Trains will be derailed. Cars and, and, and buses and, and all kinds of transportation are going to crash, crash because their operators just disappeared. They were gone. And the, the stock market immediately 
crashes and in just one split second the entire economic situation of the entire world is just totally turned inside out never according to what the bible says never to be the same again and listen just that fast in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just that fast, the entire world will be plunged into utter chaos and will be desperately looking for answers and desperately looking for hope and some kind of meaning to all of this. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the chaos and, and the anguish and the panic and, and the fear and the tragedies and all those things that are happening, all of a sudden, a Savior appears on the scene out of the area surrounding the Mediterranean and he'll have what everyone on this planet is looking for he's going to come to this planet and he's going to have financial answers and and through his demeanor and his winsome personality and his diplomacy and his ability to, to communicate he'll stabilize not only the economy but he'll stabilize people's emotions and people will marvel and what they sense is taking place in them spiritually when they hear this man speak. And he's going to begin to bring peace, not only to this world, but he'll bring peace to people's hearts. And people are going to identify with this, this man. And they're living. And the Bible says that what is going to take place is without armies and without threats, and without force of any kind, he is going to rise to power on this earth. And the Bible says that in the midst of all that he'll be doing, one of the th key things that he's going to do is he is going to negotiate a peace treaty w w between Israel and the, the, the Middle Eastern countries that Israel has had a conflict with for the last 50 years that they've been a, a nation once again on this planet. He will sign a peace treaty with, with these nations and an arms control ag ag agreement. And to add on top of that, the fact that he's going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount. And I'm just telling you guys, by the time he's done all of those things, he is going to be the man. I mean, the world's going to look at this guy and he is going to be the man for three and a half years. And for three and a half years, y'all, he is going to be a hero. And he'll be constantly finding a way in light of all of the things that are going to be taking place, that are going to be changing the complexion of this, this, this planet. He is going to be able to find a way to stabilize the people and, and to bring some uh, semblance of peace. And, and while he's doing all of that, he's going to be dazzling the people with the miraculous powers that he, he'll possess. And he's going to find a way to just keep everybody moving together on this planet in, 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 in some, uh, again, some kind of unified, uh, peaceful type of way. But, but now listen, after three and a half years, something takes place. Three and a half years into this thing, and, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, my vocabulary, is not vast enough to be able to, to find a way to tell you how absolutely incredible what is going to be taking place on this planet after three and a half years. The word incredible is not, it's not the word, I can just tell you, because it's too, the, the word incredible is too positive sounding of a word. And this is too diabolical to be, 
incredible. I, I'm just telling you, I don't know how to explain to you how unbelievable, how incredible, how stupendous, how whatever. I mean, you, you, you think of your own word. I'm just telling you, what is going to take place on this planet three and a half years is going to be like nothing that has ever taken place on this planet other than the only things to top it in the entire history of, of all the annals of time, the only thing to top it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that has ever happened after three and a half years into the tribulation period. Something's going to happen. Listen, not only on the earth, but something at that moment is going to be taking place above the earth, and something's going to be taking place beneath the earth. And everything that's going to happen at that time is going to culminate in this world leader that will have so captivated this entire planet. And, and I mean, listen now, you've you got to see how this, this whole thing comes together. It's incredible. Now let's talk first of all about what takes place above the earth. Okay, now understand, we're three and a half years into the tribulation period. And I want to show you now what's going to take place above the earth. And you see, this is, this is what chapter 12 was all about. And you remember how a, a, a revelation, in fact, why don't you be turning back to there if you're still back in Revelation 4. But do you remember when we were coming through Revelation chapter 12, we saw that for the last 6,000 years, Satan has had access to the throne of God. You know, of all of the things that we, we've, we've covered in the book of Revelation, and there's been some incredible stuff, I think I've had more people comment on the fact that they did not understand that Satan actually has access to the throne of God at this period of time. I think probably of everything, that blew more people away than anything, but it's very clear in, in the Word of God. Now, sure, the, the Bible says that Satan goes about on this planet walking as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But when you see Satan in the oldest book of the Bible, what's the oldest book of the Bible? The book of Job. I love y'all. You're good, I'm telling you. But when you see Satan in the oldest book of the Bible, you know what he's doing? He's pre presenting himself before the Lord, and he's doing something. He is accusing God's children in the presence of God himself. That's in the oldest book of the Bible. When you go to the last book of the Bible, obviously the book of Revelation, guess where he is and guess what he's doing? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, he's presenting himself before the Lord and he is accusing God's children. And as hard as it is for us to, to fathom, if somehow right now every one of us could just be transported to heaven to check out what's going on, the reality is, folks, in the midst of all of the, the glorious things that we would see there and that we would hear there and that we would experience as a result of being there, one of the things that we'd see if we were to go right a second is we would see Satan accusing me and you and all of the rest of our brothers and sisters on this planet in the presence of God himself. 
But now listen, at, at the midpoint of the tribulation period, when there's exactly 1,260 days of the tribulation left, according to verse 6 of Revelation chapter 12. I mean, God's got this thing right down to the very day, y'all. And when there's 1,260 days left, which, according to verse 14, if you need to break that down in different terms, what it is is three and a half years. Three and a half years into the tribulation period, after 6,000 years of God having to listen to Satan accuse his children, at that point, something's going to take place in heaven, y'all. God is going to say, that's it. Oh, my goodness, man. I, I, I'd just as soon croak right now and, and just go to heaven so I could be there when God says, that's it. I've had enough. This is, this is it. And, and what, God, what the Bible says is going to take place at that point. When God says, that's it, chapter 12, verse 7 says that God's going to call Michael, the archangel, out. And what he's going to say is, Michael, I want you to come here for me, and I want you to take care of this chump. And Satan's going to love, he's going to love it. He's going to say, oh, come on with your bad self. You think you're all that? He said, now, I, the way that I recall this thing is the last time you and I duked it out, you had to call in Papa. You had to call in your daddy. You had to call God in to fight your little battle for you. Well, let's see how, what you got then. And Michael says, all right, with it, come on. And so he says, let's, let's step outside. And so what it says is they step outside of the third heaven, and they come into the second heaven. And as soon as they do, every one of the angels that fell with Satan in his rebellion Every single one of them immediately beam themselves into Satan's corner. And as soon as they do, every one of the angels in heaven that are under Michael's jurisdiction are going to be coming right out of heaven into Michael's corner. And look at verse 7 of chapter 12. What it says there in the original language is that they're going to duke it out. Verse 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Can you imagine the sight, y'all? I'm telling you, it's going to be wild, and, the, and it doesn't tell us here. It doesn't tell us how long the battle lasted. It doesn't tell us what kind of weapons, if any, were used. And, and to be quite honest with you, y'all, I don't fully understand how a battle of this nature takes place between spirit beings. I don't, I don't understand how that whole thing comes together. All I know is that when it's all over, Michael and his angels are going to go back to their place in heaven, and when they do, they're going to close the door behind them. And Satan and his angels or his demons at that point will be cast to the earth, and they will never, ever, ever have access to God's throne again. Because verse 8 says, Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And what it means there is that their place will never be found any more in heaven. That's it. Satan will have no more access into heaven. There'll be no more accusing. 
of God's children. But now listen. While Michael and Satan are duking it out up there in the second heaven. Now listen. While they're duking it out up there, something very significant is taking place at the very same time. I mean, while this is happening, something is going on on the earth at that very same instant. According to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3, this great leader that we were talking about earlier, that will have been on the scene for three and a half years and will have come to world domination. While all of this is going on in the heavenlies between Michael and Satan, at that very same time on the earth, this one who has captivated the world is going to receive, as it were, a deadly wound to the head. The end of verse 14 in chapter 13 says that the wound is going to come from a sword. And, and all the world is going to watch as, as CNN and MSNBC and NBC and ABC and CBS and CBN show the coverage live of this great world leader as he lies lifeless on the ground in a pool of blood. And I'm telling you, folks, the entire world will have already been captivated by this guy. And now... They'll watch live on TV as he lays in a pool of blood. And listen, the world is going to watch and be just in absolute disbelief and, and grief. You know what? It's going to be like the assassination of Kennedy times 10 trillion. You know how that captivated this country? Uh, some of y'all don't. But you, you remember what, what took place in this country. And, and listen... That was minuscule compared to what's, what it's going to be like when this world leader, who has held such great power and has been the hope and has had all the answers, and now he's lying lifeless in a pool of blood. And just at that time, now check this out, while all of the world is watching, though nobody is actually really going to see what's going on, this is the very time when Satan will be cast to this earth. The Bible says he, Michael is going to prevail over him and Satan is going to be cast to the earth. And when he hits the earth, guess where he goes? He immediately takes up residence in that cold, lifeless body of the Antichrist. And that's why verse 2 says, And the dragon gave him his power. And listen, as, as soon as he takes up residence inside his body, the middle of verse 3 says that his deadly wound was healed. And at this point, the beast, the Antichrist, the, the great, polished, charismatic world leader will literally at that moment become Satan incarnate. And buddy, you thought this guy was something before. Listen, now that Satan actually has taken up residence in him, now he's really going to be the man. 
Because you see, now he's, he's even, quote unquote, risen from the dead. And the end of verse 3 says, And all the world... And, and could we just stop here for just a second? And can we just define who this is that we're talking about? It's all the world that's going to be watching what takes place at this point. That all the world are all of the people right now on this planet who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not some far distant group of people somewhere out there that we don't know. These are people that you and I go to work with. It's people that you and I live in the same neighborhood with. It's the people that we, we shop with. It's the people that live in this community. It's the people that we watch on TV. That's what we're talking about here, just to kind of bring all of this down into the real practical for us. And he says that all the world wondered after the beast. And verse 4 says they'll worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. You see, they'll worship the beast, but the beast is who? It's the dragon. The dragon has taken up residence inside of him. And he worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I mean, he's so powerful. I mean, he's indestructible. Even if you kill him, he heals himself and rises from the dead. And this is what the people all over this world, I mean, who? You talk about some kind of a, a, a meeting now. You know, you go to these meetings and people get all freaked out over, you know, somebody that says, my back doesn't hurt anymore, you know? We're talking about with their eyes, the whole world watches as he rises from the dead in the womb from that sword. I mean, we don't know, it could have decapitated him. He's healed! And the beast at that point will literally be Satan in the flesh and look at verse 5 and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given him, uh, unto him to continue forty and two months or three and a half years and you may want to note that's the same exact period of time that the Lord Jesus Christ ministered on this planet as God in human flesh and listen, don't ever, ever, ever forget. You'll miss so much of what goes on in history if you miss this. Don't ever forget that Satan's desire has always been to be like the Most High. And he's got a counterfeit for everything. If God ministered on this planet for three and a half years, he's going to minister on this planet for three and a half years years and I mean it is down to the, the very number of the days yeah, remember this is the one the Bible refers to as the anti-Christ he is not simply against Christ but he wants to be like him so check it out okay now, now, now listen real carefully make sure you got all the pieces the Antichrist is assassinated on the earth. And at that very same instant, 
there is a war that's going on in the heavenlies between Michael and Satan, and Michael prevails over Satan, and as Satan is cast down from above, and he comes down to the earth, what he does when he gets here is he takes up residence inside of the human body of the Antichrist. And it's, I mean, I, I don't, man, it's incredible. But now listen, it gets even more incredible than that. I mean, that, to me, just the way that whole thing comes down is mind-boggling. But it, it's more mind-boggling than that. Because at the very time that Satan is coming down from above the earth, to take up residence in the Antichrist on the earth, at that very same time, someone is coming up from beneath the earth to take up residence in the Antichrist. And that someone, as I'll show you, is none other than Judas. Judas Iscariot. And I want you to see here, this is uh, now we, we talked about what happens above the earth on the earth now I'm getting ready to show you what is beneath the earth and this is our second uh, point uh, about the legacy of this Antichrist and I want you to see that not only is the family legacy seen in the fact that the beast is Satan incarnate but in the fact that he is also Judas reincarnate that's number two on your outline he is Judas reincarnate. And I want you to turn back with me for just a sec to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. I want you to see, first of all, in verse 3, that the context here is exactly, it's exactly the same as what we were dealing with just a second ago. It's the final 1,260 days of the tribulation period, which verse 2 here of chapter 11 breaks down for you into 42 months. And of course, a biblical month is 30 days, and 30 days times 42 months is how many days? 1,260, or three and a half years. All that to say, the context here, Revelation chapter 11, same exact period of time, the same exact context. And you'll remember that chapter 11 is all about the ministry of of the infamous two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, and verse 7 says, and when they, and, and that's the, the two witnesses, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast, which we've already identified as the Antichrist, okay, but now listen, John's getting ready to show us something extremely significant concerning the family legacy of the beast. John says, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. You say, no, wait, wait, wait. I thought, I thought we just saw that he descended out of the heavenlies. I thought that's where he came from. He, he descended out of the heavenlies. He did. You say, well, why does it say that he ascended out of the bottomless pit. You know why it says that? Talk to me. He did. You, you see, now listen. It's just the other side, the same coin. Okay? Same subject. 
same deal has taken place. Just on this side, he ascends, or descends out of the heavenlies. Look on this side, he ascends out of the bottomless pit. Okay, you say, I don't get it. Okay, cool. That's why I'm here, all right? Just to, I've been studying this week, compare scripture with scripture, not to give you my opinion, but to show you how God explains this whole thing. And so listen very carefully. Now, if you've been here for our study of the book of Revelation, you'll remember that we, we talked about the bottomless pit on, on several other occasions. The first time was in chapter 9. I don't know how your Bible's laid out, but mine's right across the page. If it's not, get to chapter 9. <clears throat> I want you to see this because it's been such a, a long time since we were in chapter 9. Uh, I may need to re just remind you of a few things and just kind of pull all this up to where it's fresh in, in your thinking. Some of you weren't here, and uh, so let's, let's just get the flow here. And you'll remember that when we were coming through chapter 9, that by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we found that at the center of the earth, the Bible says that there is a pit, and it is a pit that has no bottom, and so it is a bottomless pit. Okay, that's... You see, the Bible's not really that hard to understand, okay? Okay, in other words, in the center of the earth, there is a, a huge, hollowed-out area that is a, a, a rolling, tumbling mass of molten rock and liquid fire, and as such, it would have sides, but no bottom, okay? And this is exactly what is spelled out for us in Isaiah 14. We, we covered all of that before. We don't have time to, to go into the proof of all of it. I'm just trying to get you to, to, to picture this thing that the Bible describes here. It, it, it has sides, but, but no bottom because of the circular fashion of this thing. And you remember here in chapter 9, we, we saw that, that during the tribulation period, Jesus is going to unlock this bottomless pit in verse 2. And when he does, what it says here is that there is going to come up out of this pit some of the, the scariest creatures that you, your mind could ever in a million years possibly even imagine. And John de describes these creatures in this passage as demonic, scorpion, locusts who are going to sting people during the tribulation period with a, a sting that keeps on stinging for five solid months. And it says in this very passage that the pain is going to be so excruciating that people will literally be trying to kill themselves and won't be able to. And, and, and if you just let your mind go wild, you talk about a horror movie there. You try to blow your brains out and it blows half of your head off, but you can't die. You try to slit your wrist and blood is... I'm so sorry, man. I'm watching many movies. But, I mean, really. I mean, if people are trying to kill themselves and it won't work, I mean, this could be a, a, a nasty, nasty thing that's going on. But they, they want to try to kill themselves to get away from this pain and they can't do it. And, and I mean, it, it'll be a real-life horror movie that people who are living on this planet again folks people who are living on this planet right now and what is just so mind-boggling to me is that some of the people that are in this room are going to experience the very thing that it's talking about in revelation chapter 9 here and people that we work with we live near unless somebody cares enough about these people to share with them the message that can change their eternal destiny 
We're talking about this stuff happening to people that we know, people that are on this planet right now. But verse 11 says that these creatures, these demonic scorpion locusts, they have a king over them. Okay, now listen now. Verse 11 says, which is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And we saw when we came through chapter 9 that both of those names mean the same thing. They mean destroyer. But what is so significant is the Greek word that is simply transliterated. Okay, remember we learned that last week? And just borrowed that word from the Greek language and put it right in there. The word that is translated here, Apollyon, is the same root word that's translated in Second Timothy or Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three as perdition. And coincidentally enough, now listen, the context of Second Thessalonians two three just happens to be concerning the beast that will appear during the tribulation period, the beast that we refer to as the Antichrist. And I want you to turn with me back to this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and now, now listen real carefully. This is not hard to understand, but you, you definitely are going to have to follow the progression here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is trying to straighten the Thessalonians out because false teachers had begun to infiltrate the church. And they were trying to tell them, these, these false teachers, they were trying to tell the, the people in the church at Thessalonica that they had already missed the coming of the Lord. And in fact, in, in verse 2 of Second Thessalonians 2, it lets you know that these false teachers had gone so far as to even forge a letter in the name of Paul and Silas and Timothy telling them that they had missed it. They shall not come. And of course, that day is reference to the second coming of Christ. And he says, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. <clears throat> Watch this now. And that man of sin be revealed. Now that's the Antichrist. That's the beast referred to here as that man of, of sin. But now watch this qualifier for you. The rest of the verse says, the son of perdition. Okay, now, now listen. There's the word that connects us back to Revelation chapter 9, which identifies the Antichrist or the beast as the king of the bottomless pit or the angel of the bottomless pit whose name is Apollyon. But not only does the title connect us back to Revelation chapter 9 verse 11, there's only one other place in the Bible where you find that phrase. And so if there's only one other place, we do well to, to check out the connection it has there, especially since God says that the way that he would reveal this book to us is as we compare scripture with scripture or things spiritual with things spiritual. So let's go to the other place where this phrase, the son of perdition, is found. And it's found in John chapter 17. 
John chapter 17, and of course John chapter 17, this is where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And look at what he says as he's praying down in verse 9. Now watch this. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And now I'm no more in the world. I'm leaving, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And of course, who's he referring to here, y'all? Judas. And he lets us know here, that this whole thing with Judas betraying him didn't come as you know a big surprise to the Lord or it wasn't some big mistake that he made in, in choosing him. What it says is that he knew the score on Judas all along. But what, what it, 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 he knew all that Judas was, was going to do. But you see the scripture in, in Psalm 41 and verse 9 and Psalm 55 verses 12 through 14, it prophesied that there would be one who would betray the Lord. And Judas, uh, Jesus is acknowledging here that this whole gig with Judas, it had to happen. Judas had to be chosen as one of the twelve to fulfill the scripture. And you see that what the Bible says is that the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, how? According to the scripture. And you see, had Jesus done the whole thing of dying and never was betrayed, he wouldn't have died according to the Scripture because the Scripture said that there would be one that would betray him. And so he had to choose Judas in order to fulfill the Scripture. But the key thing I want you to see here is that Jesus clearly identifies Judas in verse 12 as the son of perdition. And so if you're a Bible believer, you really believe that this is a book comes from God and God chooses every single word of it very carefully, what you do is you start looking around to see why the Lord makes this connection between Judas and the Antichrist. Why Jesus refers to him by the same name that he uses in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 to refer to the Antichrist. And there's no question about that. Okay, and what it does as you start just comparing Scripture with Scripture is it runs you back to John chapter 6. So turn back there if you would. John chapter 6. And let's pick up where Jesus is, is, is talking with his disciples in verse 70. Verse 70 says, Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve? And, and watch this now. And one of you is a devil. Okay, now there's... there's no doubt, absolutely no doubt as to what he meant by that because verse 7 explains what he meant. Verse 71 clearly says, he spake of Judas Iscariot, and unless there be any confusion there, the son of Simon, for it was, it, he it was that should betray him being one 
of the 12. But I want you to notice now that, that the way that Jesus worded it at the end of verse 70. He says, and one of you, what, is a devil. Now notice he didn't say, and one of you is like a devil. He didn't say, and one of you is evil. He didn't even say, and one of you is demon-possessed. He says, one of you is a devil. Okay, now turn over to John 13. Let me show you something else. Okay, you guys tracking all right? This is all flowing okay? All right. John 13 is where Jesus is up in the upper room eating the Last Supper with his disciples. And you'll notice in verse 21 that during dinner, Jesus tells the boys that, that one of them is going to be trained. And so verse 22, they're, you know, they're all sitting around going, oh, I wonder which one it is. And, and verse 23 says that John's over there, the closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got his head on, on Jesus' chest. He's obviously within whispering distance. And Peter's across the way and he's going. You're one of these numbers. He gets John's attention and he says, Ask him who it is. John says, what? Ask him who it is. Okay, verse 26. Verse 25, John asked him. Who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Okay, in other words, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to take this piece of bread right here. I'm getting ready to dip it. All right? And after I dip it, whoever I give it to, that's the one. Okay? And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And so there'd be no question to the son of Simon. And now watch verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Okay, now listen. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you need to understand. The statement that is made right there is not made of any other individual in the entire Bible. Lots of people have been demon-possessed. But what it says here, Satan entered into him. The only other time that you ever find Satan entering into anybody is back in the context that we're dealing with here in Revelation chapter 13, when in the middle of the tribulation period, Satan gets his behind kicked in the heavenlies and he comes down to the earth and he begins to take up residence in the human body and Satan actually enters into that human body of the Antichrist. Okay, so there's some unbelievable connections that we're seeing that Judas has with the beast, okay? And, and if those are still too vague for you to, to draw any conclusions from, I think that Acts chapter 1 will seal it for you. So go over to the very next book of the Bible, the book of Acts chapter 1. And of course, by the time we get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already died, he's been buried, he's risen from the dead, he spends 40 days with his disciples, and then in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, you can see it right here, he ascends back to his, his Father in heaven. But, 
Now listen, something had happened to Judas after he betrayed the Lord. Something happened to him. And so what, what Luke does is he explains that for us beginning in verse 18, right here in Acts 1. He says, now this man, okay, and, and in the context, it's Judas. This man, Judas, purchased a field with the reward of the iniquity. And you'll remember that, that Judas betrayed the Lord for, for how much? 30 pieces of silver, okay? So he takes the 30 pieces of silver. That was the reward of the iniquity, his sin for betraying him. That was what he got for it. And, and look what it says. And falling headlong, and, and evidently what he did is, is he, he purchased a, a field, and, and evidently in this field, is, it's got some kind of a cliff or something on it, and because of the guilt, I would imagine, he climbs up to the, the top of this thing and he throw, threw himself off of this thing. And falling headlong, you thought I was gross, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gush out. You see, and so if you get, you know, kind of freaked out with me, the Bible's just as bad or worse. Uh, he, he throws himself off of this thing head first, and man, bam, he hits, and in the midsection, he just busts w wide open. And so after that happened, in, in keeping with Psalm 109 and verse 8 that Peter makes reference to in verse 20, the disciples are, are looking for someone to take Judah's place to complete the twelve. Okay, so that's the context here. But I want you to see is, is what Peter says in verse 25. Now, Matthias had been selected to replace Judas, okay? And, and, and that's who Peter's talking about at the beginning of verse 25 when he says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. But now watch what he says about Judas here. From which Judas, by transgression, fell that he might go where? To his own place. Now check it out, y'all. Not that he might go to the place that he deserved to go. Nope. That he might go to his own place. And do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 41? He said that hell was prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. Okay, and you see, folks, now, now listen. That's why Jesus used the same title for Judas as he does the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, which just happens to be the word that ties us back to Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11, where it says that Apollyon, or the son of perdition, the beast, will ascend out of the bottomless Hit. Okay, now, 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 now listen. If all of this, you know, it, what, we, what we've been doing this morning is we've been comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now listen, if all of this just kind of puts your brain into overload and you're like, you left me at the bakery, okay? Then, then listen. Okay, let me take just a second to break it down for you, okay? Here it is. Now, now, now listen. You, you'll get it. 
all the pieces are come running together for you. Here it is. Judas was on this planet, and he was obviously a flesh and blood man. A man whose true identity, check this out, for a period of three and a half years wasn't revealed. But Jesus let us know that the whole time, though he was actually a flesh and blood man, he was also a what? He was also a devil. But at that point that Jesus handed him the sop, Satan himself actually entered into Judas's body and at that moment Judas the son of perdition actually became Satan incarnate or Satan and human flesh and then after he betrayed the Lord he commits suicide and when he dies he goes to his own place and that place is none other than the bottomless pit over which he becomes the king or the presiding angel according to Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11 and then according to Revelation chapter 13 what, what, when that all comes together to, to mean when you put that into the context of what we're talking about in Revelation chapter 13 now listen is that after the rapture of the true believers in Jesus Christ on this planet, there is a man who is going to come on the scene. And he's going to have all kinds of answers and solutions like, like we talked about. And he'll become the benevolent world dictator. And though he's a man, he's also going to be a... He's also going to be a devil. But nobody's going to know that. It won't be revealed. But then, according to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, he'll receive a deadly head wound and, like Judas, will die. And at that point, Satan himself will be cast down from the heavenlies as Michael the archangel prevails in war against him. And he is going to come and he's going to take up residence inside of the, that cold body of the Antichrist. And he will be, at that point, Satan incarnate. While at the same time that he is descending from the heavenlies to come into him, at that same time, the beast, Abaddon, Apollyon, the son of perdition, the angel of the bottomless pit, is going to ascend out of his own place and at that same time that Satan is coming down from above, he comes up from beneath and comes and takes up residence inside that same body to become Judas reincarnate. You got it? That's exactly what Revelation chapter 13 is talking about. I'm telling you, an unbelievable, unbelievable thing that is going to be taking place. And, and now listen, just so that you can put this into the the whole timeline of, of what we've seen about the, the beast. Now, now listen, at this point, once Judas has ascended out of the bottomless pit, once Satan has descended from the heavenlies and they've converged in this human body, at this point, this is when 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says that the Antichrist or the beast, the son of perdition, is going to go into the holy place 
in that newly reconstructed temple in Jerusalem. And at that point, he is going to proclaim that he is to be worshipped as God. And it'll be that event that Daniel warned about in Daniel 9.27. It'll be that event that Paul warned about in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. It'll be that event that Jesus himself warned about in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. When Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, he tells the Jews, when you see that happen... And it's going to happen three and a half years into the tribulation period or, 40, or 42 months or 1,260 days into the thing. He says, when you see that thing happen, he says, you better head for the hills and you better, you better get to the place of refuge, which is the place of the rock, which is Petra. You better get to the place of the rock to find refuge at that point because at that point, Satan is going to be on this earth and with a great wrath, he is going to be seeking to persecute the nation of Israel. And here is Satan and Judas in the body of the Antichrist. And according to Revelation chapter 12, day and night, they will be bent on coming against the nation of Israel. And what, the reason it says that he will go day and night with this thing is because he knows that his time is short. He will understand at that point. His days are numbered. He has 1,260 days to do what he's going to do. And at that point, guys, all hell will literally break loose on this planet. From above and from beneath, it's all going to culminate. And, and I'll tell you, this is all just a, a, a real trip, but I, I think the thing that makes this even more of a trip to me than probably anything else it is the fact that there are no doubt people that are in this room right now that have sat through the whole gig I mean, we, man, we've been all over the place this morning, all through this, this book, explain, letting you see how the Bible says this thing is going to come down and what is just so absolutely incredible is that some of the people in this room are going to be people who are going to experience every single thing that we've, talking about, that we've talked about. People in this room will be eyewitnesses when that beast has that deadly wound healed and he becomes Satan incarnate, Judas reincarnate. People in this room will witness that. And I don't have time to, to, to get into a lot of this, but some of you, would you listen? I know what you're thinking right now. Because before I got saved and I, I knew about the events of the last days, I used to think this same thing. What some of you are thinking right now is, well, when I see that old gig come down, I'll be getting saved then. And the sad part is, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says that you won't. What do you mean I won't? I'm just telling you. The Bible says you won't. You know why? Because what the Bible explains in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is 
the reason you could sit and listen to the truth of God's word and reject it and walk out of here and say, that, that doesn't concern me one little bit. The Bible says that the reason that you can lie to yourself like that is because you have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's what the, I, I'm, I'm not trying to cast judgment on it. I'm just telling you what the, the Bible says. The reason that you don't accept that is because you have pleasure in unrighteousness and you will willfully lie to yourself. And what God says is that in the face of his truth, if you will lie to yourself now, that once all of this takes place and the rapture takes place on this planet and the Antichrist comes on the scene, at that point, you don't have to worry about lying to yourself anymore. God is going to give you, at that point, exactly what you asked for. The Bible says that God himself will give you strong delusion that you will believe the lie, the lie of the Antichrist. You say, well, that's not fair. No, it, it is very fair. Because God in his sovereignty allowed you to come into this room this morning so you could be exposed to his truth so that you didn't have to experience anything that we've talked about. You could respond to his message that he loves you so much that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day so that your sin could be paid for so that you didn't have to spend eternity without Christ. And he's allowed you to comprehend that truth. He's allowed you to sit in this room this morning and be exposed to his truth. And unless you allow the Lord Jesus Christ to intersect your life and come into your life, we've talked about your destiny this morning. But all of that could be changed today. If you'll simply do what the Bible says, and that's call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.